A Titan Muller contains a brobdignagging amount of fruit compote in the corner. I got some naughty young ladies on that stand. But oh, that machine over there looks like a spaceship. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. leopard From leopard, the outpost, leopard. this is Beware of the Leopard, your A to Z of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Mark Stedman, and the whole thing with the cheese and the squeaking was just a front. I'm John Banson. The major problem is simply one of grammar. I'm John Hickman, and if I had one Altarian dollar for every time I heard one bit of the universe look at another bit of the universe and say, that's terrible, I wouldn't be sitting here like a lemon looking for a gin. (laughs) We're still in the M section, so uh, let's stand up on a chair and scream. Trillion, remember her? Uh, She kept some pet mice uh, who turned out to be the most intelligent beings on Earth. We still don't know what species they are um, when they're not projecting themselves as little furry creatures with a cheese fixation. So, Mr. Hickman, what do you reckon they look like? Or am I being speciesist by suggesting they look like anything? I don't think it's, I don't think that's speciesist necessarily, but I think we should recognise the right of mice to, you know, identify as whatever type of creature they want to. I think that's fine. I don't, I don't want rodent, um, ro- rodential erasure. <laughs> well, you, you can get a cream for it now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, how do you think how do you think this this works? Does this proposal um find uh, an accord amongst us that whatever it is that they look like is so fundamentally terrifying that we have an encoded race memory of how terrifying that thing is and so when we're presented with the small squeaky cute thing we are actually scared. So it's something in the at the bug blessed beast of trial end of the spectrum I would say. I, I don't know. Uh, that's I was think, trying to think about that. It's not entirely possible. I was trying to work out why people are scared of mice. Yeah, yeah because but, because um, we know we know that it's just a smoke screen. Um, we know that underneath there is is the most terrifying thing of our dreams. Or perhaps perhaps it's something like the Dementors or or you know that sort of brand of. Of, or the of, demogorgon of, of baddie that that no well the, so the dementors specifically appear to you as the thing that you're most afraid of. Very <clears> true. So, um, perhaps when they're not controlling the psychic field to make themselves look like a mouse, perhaps their natural appearance is whatever you're most scared of, and that there's maybe some sort of um, uh, seepage through of that terrifying thing still, despite the despite the mousiness. I I can't quite get I can't really get my handle on the uh, how the dimensionality uh, thing works. So um, was it uh, just before he died? Didn't uh, Stephen Hawking came came up with um, uh, a few uh, things? I actually heard a brilliant story about someone going to mic him up for a TV show and asking him, "Have you got a line out?" <laughs> That makes sense, though. That's, <laughs> that's just sensible. That's just good. Yeah. But that's a good sound engineer, that. Yeah, Not yeah. Not necessarily a good human, but... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there is a degree to which those things are possibly exclusive, Mark. <laughs> but is it, I think, well, it, mm. it, it's not as bad as uh, asking his uh, carer if, has he got a line out? <laughs> anyway, but one of his latest uh, and last theories was something that was... Uh, it was bad to, to do with parallel universe theory and dimensions and probability and something to do with time only existing at a molecular level and you own time only exists as a function of probability that's the only reason for it to exist but um i what i can't work out is how these dimensions interact with each other do you step through a portal and then you are no longer in the other dimension and you're suddenly a mouse in ours 
and running around and does anything you do in our dimension have consequences back in the dimension you originated from so that they'd have they'd have um they'd have repercussions for you i mean isn't that the, so if you looked at time travel stories uh, as part of this nexus because they would be actually based on on that idea because time travel would just be dimension travel wouldn't it um the you you as the time traveler are able to uh, be damaged and hurt and and emotionally and philosophically changed by your experiences um, and then you'll take those back so yeah you could cross things backwards and forwards so if you once watched a film with uh, Guy Pearce and Samantha Mumberin, yes when Guy Pearce moves forward into the future in his bathtub right um, he uh, doesn't exist anymore in 1801 or whenever it was In this is a most recent film of H.G. Wells Time Machine but so if you're, can you only exist in one dimension at a time is, is, I guess, what I'm thinking of. So is the, the mice, um, the dimension, the, the pan-dimensional, uh, mice beings originally come from? Mm. Is it essentially empty with lots of people going, sorry, honey, I've got to go to work, uh, as a mouse <laughs> and get into their <laughs> Fiat Punto and suddenly drive down the road into a, into parallel that's that's an interesting theory but I, I need to i need to take you down another leg of the time trousers here because there's there's a really important sidebar that i need to bring in before we lose sight of it which is that john bounds for those who are uninitiated doesn't watch a lot of films <laughs> so, oh i watch quite so a lot of films I, just not a lot of films that anybody else has watched. i want to speak to the fact that of all the recent films that John Bounds has seen and, and yes. the, the Guy Pearce version yes. of H.G. Wells' Time Traveller um, is not a recent film, but that's probably the most recent film that John is on the record as having seen. Yes. And I want to know how come you came to see that film which nobody else has watched. Yes, please. And then I've got some questions about the film as well. Um, it was probably... I, I was probably just attracted by the big names on the marquee. <laughs> Samantha Mumba. <laughs> and Guy Pearce. <laughs> I quite like H.G. Wells and it was on telly. But um, I've watched quite a lot of uh, recent films. I saw Paddington 2. Yes, as, as we as we've heard on this uh, on this very uh, podcast. This is this this is true. I did speak I did speak wrongly there. You you have watched Paddington 2. <laughs> go on, go on, ask me, interrogate me about my uh, Guy Pearce fixation. So, uh, oh, um, are, you, are you specifically fixated on Guy Pearce? I was going to say because you should watch Memento. You know, especially if you've got an interest in time. Yeah. My my question, my main question about the the time traveller film, is that um, Samantha Mumba seems to me to be a strange piece of casting on all fronts, um, and I, I, I'm not criticising her acting talents because I've not seen the film, and I think it's the, probably the only film of note that she's done, and that might be wrong as well, but I've certainly not not seen her acting something. But she'd kind of she was one of those people like um like a pixie lot who just kind of appears in the world and everyone says, oh, that's, that's what you're listening to. That's, that, that's the pop music now. Well done, everybody. And Samantha Mumba did that. She just kind of arrived one day and everyone was like, well, you know, that's, that's pop stars now. And you go, oh, all right, well, that'll be on TV for a while then. We'll, that, that's going to be doing songs and it's going to be on billboards. And, oh, it's in a film now. Okay, okay. Um, so she kind of arrived and then she was in a movie and, and it was all happening. But is... Was, in the time traveller, doesn't he, doesn't he go back in time? And then doesn't he basically spend most of his time having a, a sort of a, a strange pastoral affair with a, a very short lady? No, this who's, is... He's a bit furry. And then Samantha Mumba is a very tall lady. So this is um, the time machine. 
yes, the time so, machine. Uh, oh, blimey! As I as I recall, the plot of the time machine. He's a uh, Victorian inventor goes forward in time uh, where the human race has divided into uh, more than one. Uh, That's right. Um, uh, what's the word? Sort of species. Subspecies, yeah. The Eli and the Morlocks, I think. I, I think whether they named that in the film, I don't know. Um, and she is one of the nice species and lives in the trees. But they're like little hobbits in the book, aren't they? Yeah, she, well, she, I don't think she was particularly tall. And, well, yeah, but, well, unless Guy Pierce is very tall, but I, so it sort of, it was. I can do a lot with CGI these days. Yeah. I have a question regarding, or, or maybe a point of order or clarification regarding the dimensions very quickly before we move on. If you take book five as gospel, then we exist in all dimensions. I mean, like we exist in all dimensions anyway, because we move freely through four of them that we know of. So that means we we exist in them. They're not places that we necessarily go to. It's all a matter of filtered versus unfiltered perception. So I guess um, that's my that that's the thing. So the the the, uh, the pan dimensional being doesn't necessarily have to get in his Ford um, Pinto um, to to go to another dimension. He just is that thing, but perceived by us differently in that said dimension. So it's so it's like a Skype call. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and now uh, it's time once again <laughs> to pay homage to an inferior computer. The Milliard Gargantu Brain is a supercomputer from Maximegalon, which can count all the atoms in a star in a millisecond. Bounder, why is this a useful skill for a computer to have? Wait, isn't this it? I think the... Um... <laughs> no, next. No, it's just... I, I... This is this is a, a this is a category, isn't it? Because uh, that is the skill of the computer program. Rather than the uh, the computer itself, that's very true. Uh, I I don't know. So it, yeah, it's it's like saying um, uh, it's like when they tell you that your uh, iPhone could uh, um, watch uh, Guy Pearce films, but you're not going to do it. <laughs> so is it just is it just a is it just a measure of of speed? Is it just a bench test? Oh yeah, and that's perhaps what it is. It's um so so you've got the two different people because uh, we'll, we'll we'll be covering another computer in a bit. Spoiler alert. Yeah. So so maybe you've got the 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 um uh Titan Muller's uh the Titan Muller camp and the Milliard camp. Yeah. Uh, and they're always at each other's throats and they're always fighting on specs. So the 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 Milliard is a really sleek looking computer, whereas the Titan Muller is a beast. Yeah. Um and and is is really power efficient. But the, you know the 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 Milliard people will say, well, you know, it's specs is just specs. It doesn't matter if you can count the number of atoms in a in a in a neutron star in a millisecond. Uh, mine can play Angry Birds seven thousand and Three. It's just classic Intel ADM type uh, type battling for the kids. You know they they they, they like they like chat about f- processors, don't they? From the nineties, I, I, I do like uh, ADM. <laughs> <laughs> it was ADM, wasn't it? I don't think so. AMD, AMD, AMD. AMD. Is that where you get tied up? <laughs> so the, the the thing the thing is is that you know you can you can always overclock your uh, your milliard gargant your brain to to get more uh, more um, more atoms in a star counted, but it does run very very hot. But you're never sure because you're in a fucking star. So it's, <laughs> it's very confusing. And it was probably Ed Miliband's nickname at school. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, uh, it's time to ask the question, where should we have lunch? Millie Ways is the restaurant at the end of the universe. It was either built on the remains of Magrafia or Frogstar World B, whichever you prefer. A 
Uh, Bastablonian ad agency came up with the tagline, if you've done six impossible things this morning, why not round it off with breakfast at Millieways? Only last week we were talking about Max Quadlepleen, the restaurant's MC. So, gents, is there anything we've still yet to discuss? I've just noticed the connection here to to uh, the West Wing because the, one of my favourite episodes of the West Wing is called Six Meetings Before Lunch. So they could actually just go for lunch at the restaurant at the end of the universe after the six meetings. It's a um, it's a it's a reference to Alice in Wonderland, isn't it? Um, is it really? Uh, so you believe six impossible things before breakfast? Mm. Uh, at some part ah. of that. Um, it's, uh, which, yeah, is, is rather nice. Now, we're, are we interested in going down a, a very, very tight little tangent about the differences between the, uh, radio film and, uh, radio TV and book version? Well, that's kind of what yeah. I live for. <laughs> okay. So. I was read. I was re uh, reading um, Restaurant in the Universe recently, and the section where they first enter the restaurant, the uh, the gang are sort of um, admiring the scene, as it mm. were. And uh, there's a, a bit where there's a bit which is very um, prescient of uh, Douglas actually, where they say, "Oh, the th- the um, the thing, the people says Ford, the things says Arthur, the things are, are also people sort of thing. So that's a that's a nice <laughs> thing. But then uh, Trillian says in, in the book, and I think on the radio, the clothes, and it just is left there. There's nothing. It, they, they keep and the scene goes on, and that two word line does does no work at all in the TV version. They're walking down the stairs into the bar. Uh, of the restaurant and as uh trillian says the clothes ford is uh looking at a, a scantily clad alien lady uh his eyes follow her up the stairs and trillian goes the clothes as if uh, <laughs> to point out that you shouldn't be um uh ogling Yes. yes, which Simply is um, ogling, yes. Which is, I don't it's, 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 it works as a really good gag in the TV yeah. version, and it doesn't. It's not used um, anywhere else because it couldn't be. And it's one of the few times when Ford seems to be interested in uh, sex rather than drinking. So maybe he'd, uh, he'd dried out a little bit at that point, and his libido had gone back up. He's often talking about um, dancing with girls, but yes, you're absolutely right. We don't actually see him pursue that very often. Um, yeah, one of my uh, one of my favourite lines when when they enter um, the restaurant, which is, I think. When Last week we discussed we, we we discussed um, Arthur maybe being a little bit too clever for his own good or, or you know having words put in his mouth that are perhaps um, above his pay grade. And uh, I, I always really like the line. Um, it's not so much an afterlife as more as a, more of a sort of après v, which I just think is so beautiful. It's such a smart, snappy little line, and I I really like it. It's one of my favourites. Milliways is um, a great invention, but and perhaps um, underused. If they ever had, they ever have got round to the uh, to making the sequel. Had the the film gone big, and they'd made the sequel, which is clearly flagged up at the end of the the film version. Although they go, not that anyone cares what I say, but the restaurant is at the other end of the universe. Although it is, of course, in a physical space, so it could be both. Anyway, but uh, anyway, the um, so yeah, so they couldn't really do it justice on TV, so it had to be very, very dark. <laughs> you know what they should have done? They had been filming that big um, uh, space superhero film where all the space aliens and superheroes get together and have a big old dust up. Which one? Am I right? 
Yeah, well, <laughs> it's been a, it's been in the papers, and they've been they could have what I would have done if I was doing it. I'd have said, "You like you're all costumed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we just film a little bit that looks like you're in a restaurant, and then keep doing that every time people <laughs> film a space film, and we have all these bits of library footage to put together." Yeah, I mean they're, they're all going to be against a green screen anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so as long as you get some decent angles, you can just copy and paste them. Yeah, and then just and then you can write that all these people are in the film and uh, idiots would come and watch it so the, basically the restaurant and the end of the universe would be like the big cro- the biggest crossover event yet I, it would be a unifying shared universe of, of popular culture yeah it like that um, player one or whatever that everybody was mad about and then it completely sunk without trace you know what I'm fine I don't want to take us off on a tangent but I'm fine <laughs> I'm finding that a lot with films it seems like um, I hear so much hype and it's it's like a, it's like a roller coaster. You queue for three hours. You have a five minute ride, and then you you walk away. And ten minutes late, you've forgotten all about it. And it feels like that with a lot of cinema at the moment. Um, I, uh, it's, there seem to be a lot of hype for films, and maybe it's just because they're all coming so thick and so fast that there's you, you're going to get whiplash. But I'm starting to build up a, a list uh, of films I should see um, because they're coming very quickly, and then we're not saying a lot about them. So yeah. And now, please refrain from touching the glass and don't feed the robots. Marvin was once the star exhibit of a mind zoo. He had to sit in a box and tell his story whilst people told him to cheer up and think positive. So, Mr Hickman, where's Charlie Brooker when you need him? Because this sounds horrifying. Yeah, this is like mind zoo, but too much, isn't it? Yeah. Um, (laughs) um, So... This is quite. This is quite similar to something that happened in the in the last season of Black Mirror, actually, where there was. Yes, it is the the very last episode, y- if I remember. Yeah, right. yeah. There was the the kind of the Museum of Black Mirror event, essentially, where a lot. Was it, yeah, was it called the the Black Museum? I think it was. What did you make of the um, this this idea of being sat there and being told to cheer up? Because what I what I gather from the internet, where I am sometimes. In particular, in particular, the, the the Twitter where I am sometimes is is that a lot of people uh, like to share uh, public service announcement advisory tweets saying that you mustn't go to someone who's sad and tell them to, to cheer up. So, is this some reflection of Douglas being told to to cheer up and some critique of, of that because he didn't have Twitter around, or am I overreading it? No, I don't know. I think maybe he's demonstrating some empathy. Um, you know, uh, wh- whether it's something he experienced himself, I don't know, but maybe he's, he's, he's demonstrating empathy with, with those that are, mm. um, that do have those feelings and are told to just, it takes few more muscles than it does to smile than it does to frown. With, you know, whatever. Yeah. He certainly experienced, um, periods of, um, what, what you might call depression, mm-hmm. particularly before, um, making it big, as it were, where he's artistically unfulfilled, probably more than not having any money was seemed to be the problem, but. Mm-hmm. It's um it, no, it's incredibly annoying. In fact, I saw on the Twitter the other day a uh, council-backed thing, which was that uh, you you put a poster up and it said something like "Permission to smile." Let's build, uh, let's build uh, connections rather than uh, such and such and such. I just Jesus Christ, I I can't think of anything. Well, I can't think of anything worse. Particularly if you're someone like me who's got a naturally downturned mouth <laughs> and a naturally uh, frowning, um, uh, I don't know, what's countenance. the bit? Mask? Yes, countenance. I was trying to think of the particular <laughs> bit around your eyes. Uh, but 
Oh yeah, oh yeah, cheer, cheer up! It'll never happen. And it, I, it's, it's it's a lot of fun to turn around and go. It, it did. You just talked to me. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's that would be torture. What else would be in the mind zoo? What? What? Presumably, uh, presumably, you'd also have um, pretty young ladies who have been been told to smile. They'd probably be there. Um, just every everybody who uh, a certain type of human will will try and impose. <laughs> emotions on them would probably be in that in in that in that space i think yeah because my, my reading of the mind zoo is it is it is basically an exhibit or various exhibits of emotions um and so you're you're finding um ah, animals okay. or creatures that are the ultimate expression of that particular emotion right so maybe there's someone who's one of those people who's just always happy and doesn't ever see you know nothing ever seems to phase them uh maybe there's the dude bro who's impervious to the slings and arrows of um people who recognize that he's a dick and he you know that the water falls off his back um maybe there's the uh maybe there's the incel who uh you know um is is being constantly told that Oh no! It turns out that women aren't the source of all of your problems. You might want to look inside. Um, you know, maybe there's there's all of these uh, all of these uh, different you know I- exhibitors of of these particular emotions. So the clientele of the mind zoo, um, we've we, we've got to assume that they actually enjoy saying "cheer up, little robot" to a robot and enough to pay for it. Yeah. Maybe it's the equivalent of like feeding them or, th- you know, like throwing scraps or just, <laughs> or tapping on the glass or doing something that like gets a rise out of them. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe the, the, the act of telling Marvin to cheer up is the thing that they know, Oh, it's going to, that, that's, that's, that's going to perk him up. You know, that's going to make him do a thing because that's what, that's what people who don't, Oh, okay, I might I might be cruel here about people who go to zoos, but people who maybe don't don't have tons of empathy um, go to zoos and they want animals to perform for them, and that's perhaps what's happening. Yeah, yeah. so presumably then it's the the main audience for this are going to be people who who, are, who have not got emotions, um, for whom there the is a, same. a cultural, um, uh, yeah, a, 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 an entertainment. Not, not, not an entertainment, but so like going to uh, a- any museum when you're abroad, where you're like, well, I'm go- I'm going to go and be given a dose of this culture right now in this curated space. So like, I have no emotions, but someone's going to curate a palette of emotions for me, and I'm going to go on a walk around and find out about all all of the emotions. And there's a, a laminated and blue tech sign up says, uh, "Do not attempt to perk up the robot." <laughs> <laughs> but someone always, someone always tries. There's always one in one in every party. Yeah. Well, we were, we went to the zoo the other day, and we were we were um, constantly a few meters behind uh, this this one uh, person and, and, and his family, and he he literally was the worst person. He should he should be, other than Danny Smith, he's the worst person to be taken to a zoo because he was deliberately putting his hands into things and throwing food into things that said "Do not put food." It's like. It, it was. It was. It was like he had some sort of illness that meant he had to break every rule that he saw. No, yeah, John. John what you don't realise, and uh, um, it's not your fault because you, you, you know, there's some things you don't realise, and and that's you know, it's understandable. You're only human. There are some people to whom the rules just don't apply. Oh, um, and you you have to be. You know, you you've got to be considerate of that. There are some people that the rules just don't apply to them, John, oh, okay. and, and and that's just fine. Yeah, okay, no, so that's I know good. You didn't mean it. Yeah, no, I'll 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 do, I'll do the, I'll do the zoo better next time. <laughs> 
yeah no that is that is that is frustrating um especially i guess you know you're there with you're there with uh with your family mm-hmm. and y- you know you want you want it's always nice when the people around you are the people who set decent examples. And when that doesn't happen, it's like, yeah, this isn't the cross section of humanity that I wanted you to witness when we ventured outside our house. Exactly. Uh, right. And, uh, and with that, um, uh, now, uh, to the next segment, um, let's go there as soon as I find out where I've put it. For a long period of time, there was much speculation and controversy about where the so-called missing matter of the universe had got to. All over the galaxy, the science departments of all the major universities were acquiring more and more elaborate equipment to probe and search the hearts of distant galaxies. And then the very centre and the very edges of the whole universe. But when eventually it was tracked down, it turned out, in fact, to be all the stuff which the equipment had been packed in. Mr. Bounds, did Adams invent dark matter packing peanuts? Yeah, probably. It's um, it's it's a long time, isn't it, since um, getting things delivered through the post was su- was such a novelty. Um, and it was, I guess, uh, we, we kind of came a little bit full circle, didn't we? Particularly with um, tech things. So years and years ago, if you wanted to get a, a computer, you would have to send away, wait twenty eight days. Um, possibly longer if you ordered it from Clive Sinclair and it would eventually turn up. Um, but these days, and then, then we graduated to having shops and now we don't have shops anymore. It's quite, uh, <laughs> we have them. It's just no one goes in. <laughs> but yeah, it's where I, um, the whole idea of like these sort of weird and specialized machines, um, for things is, um, is fascinating to me that, that it can be worth, building these machines so the the one under um the one that's uh is it at cern in uh the matter what's he call it the um thing the that's, large Hadron Collider. that's the fella mm-hmm. the um yeah the fact that, that that it was worth building that and that exists <laughs> is uh fascinating and yeah where if that's how big it's like three miles underground where is the box it came in um <laughs> but there's i went through a machine uh the other day uh, <laughs> da, 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 da. The um, I was now I was having a sort of I was having a, a, a medical uh, scan thing, and I went through this thing. It's like a polo mint. It's quite interesting. <laughs> um, but but how they decided to invent it, and they decided at some point the designers to make it look a bit space aged as well, because I don't think there was any reason it needed to look like that. And I have warning and warnings on it that said, "Don't look at the lasers." <laughs> and uh, don't be don't be made of metal. That, oh, that was a thing. They were very interested in whether or not I was at all made of metal. And then they uh, gave me a drug which was described as, uh, it'll make you feel all warm and fuzzy and then it'll sink down to your crotch and make you think you've wet yourself, but don't worry, you haven't. Um, and that's exactly what it did. <laughs> uh, the, the problem is, of course, if someone does piss themselves, they're in a very expensive machine to clean. Um, oh God, yeah. For, who, for whom is that machine designed in that aesthetic sense, I wonder? Is it... Does it have to look good at the the machine that goes ping trades fair, <laughs> so that it draws in the, uh, the the wandering eye of the hospital administrator? You know, he's he's, he's walking around and he's uh, oh they've 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 got some they've got some naughty young ladies on that stand selling that machine over there. I might go and look at that because I, I like the look of those pretty girls. But oh, that machine over there looks like a spaceship. 
Oh, I don't know which one I'm going to go to. Oh, the one over there is giving away polar mints. I'm going to go to that one. Um, Essentially, that's completely true. I don't trust this hospital administrator. <laughs> it's got it's got to look good. It's got to look good in the uh, Booper brochures. It does. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that's, that's the other thing. True. Yeah, it has to then also sell it to, to an end user as well. So I'm wondering which is more important, or if it's if it's you know. If it has to hit both marks, really. The aesthetic senses of uh, hospital administrators and the rest of us, I mean, hopefully they coalesce somewhere. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's, it, there is a difference between the uh, sort of privatised health industry and the, the National Health Service. I think essentially that um, whoever picked the colours that hospitals used to be, and in many cases still are due to the lack of money to repaint, paint them it, painted in, uh, was probably... I don't know, twisted in some way. I think there's a, there's probably a reason that they pick that particular shade of green because it already looks faded. So <laughs> after, you know, five or 10 years, <laughs> it doesn't look like there's been any actual wear and tear. The color that you used to get most mini cars in in the seventies was, um, what probably 100% picked because it looked really good on the front fences of all the people who worked at the factory. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and uh, right, and now, uh, at the risk of repeating myself, it's time to pay homage to an inferior computer. The multi-corticoid perpsy cutron Titan Muller mm, is a supercomputer of unspecified parameters and focus. Deep Thought calls it a cybernetic simpleton in comparison to itself. Uh, this one's for the whole panel. Uh, do we have any idea what a Titan Muller might do. Um, a Titan Muller contains a brobdignagging amount of fruit compote in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> a Titan Muller plays a uh, target man for Bayern Munich. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Even a, I get that a joke. A Titan Muller uh, gets Sea Gods pissed. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, Titan Muller is the host of a true crime podcast. <laughs> Hi, I'm Titan Muller. <laughs> And uh, our final stop is this guy. Murray Bost Henson is a journalist, Arthur knows, with odd turns of phrase like, Arthur, my old soup spoon, my old silver tureen. If memory serves, Stephen Fry played him in the radio adaptation. Uh, John B., as our Adam's scholar, do you have any inkling as to whether this might have been based on someone he knew? Apparently, according to the autobiography uh, The Food, it's based on Stephen Fry. Oh wow! Um, which is a, a remarkable coincidence. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, that, that that's what they say. At least he was. Um, yeah. He it was written uh, or great some some time after, and they were obviously uh, very good friends. Um, yes. Uh, Douglas met uh, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie and Emma Thompson and Tony Slattery when he was directing Return to Cambridge to direct the uh, 1981 Footlights Review, mm -hmm. uh, which featured all of them. I wonder how they got so many, so much talent in one place, John. Um, years of oh, well, this is the thing, isn't it? This is this is whether or not that is talent, or whether or not uh, we are just uh, led to believe that that is uh, talent due to uh, how the establishment works. That was my point. Thank you for underlining it. it thank you. That's <laughs> right. It's um, that's an you, interesting take I've never heard before. If you want to, uh, if if you want to see it on. Um, if you want to see it, it's on YouTube, and uh, it's uh, Hugh Laurie's still got quite a bit of puppy fat, <laughs> uh, and um, Tony Slattery is rather handsome, mm. uh, and Stephen Fry smokes a pipe, which was an affect was even more of an affectation when he was <laughs> twenty. 
Um, but it is, it is, it's, um, yeah, it would, must be great to, uh, put people, you know, into, um, into books in ways that, uh, or, or things in which ways you can, you can uh, reflect them, but hide them a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sci-fi would be, is brilliant for that. Every, I have to, to I always have to apologize every time I put someone I know into anything. Uh, <laughs> we put, um, you wrote Danny and Danny wrote you in that book about the 11 bus that we wrote. Did we? Did we? Yeah. That was a thing that we did. That was interesting. I once um, was working with Danny on something and he was, uh, the, and it was part of it, he had to produce a, a little cultural post or note every day for a number, couple of weeks. And he was really ill, got the flu. So I wrote three or four mm. things as him. And later on, he put them in a sort of a collection or anthology of his writing, really proud of them. <laughs> Uh, I mean, absolutely no idea. <laughs> I've written that. It's not, it's not uh, much of a skill being able to pass oneself off as Danny Smith um, in writing. But, uh, did you just write lots of stuff about bureaucrats? He's, and, just, uh... he's got that recently, actually, the bureaucrat thing. I mean, he never used to care. <laughs> he's being exposed to to more of the world that irks him. Um, he's he, yeah, he's 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 finding the things that some of us have found for years, and he's he's now discovering them uh, and and giving us observational uh, takes on them. But it is like a, there's an interesting sort of thing with um, in Hitchhikers in the um, lots of the things in the um, Starship Titanic computer game weren't written by Douglas, but they were quite obviously written to be as close to Douglas as mm. possible. Um, and yes, it, and obviously people do that in sort of fan fiction and stuff. But it's, it's yes, it, it, I suppose it's much easier when you've got a style or a world to follow. I, I don't think um, Colford did it uh, particularly well. Yeah, like uh, having, having only... Uh, got one other fictional universe that, that John likes to make fun of me for enjoying that I can uh, point to. Um, there was a, you know, a, a posthumous. Well, what's that? The Dragon Tattoo? Yeah. Oh, okay. There was a, a posthumous sequel to that. And, uh, it was, it wasn't good because it was very hard to pinpoint what it was about that particular style of writing that made it compelling. And yes, there were lists of things. Um, but it wasn't. It turns out that it wasn't that that actually made the books interesting. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it proved how very difficult it is to actually take someone's style and, and really run with it in a way that, um, that sort of gives you a continuing line. And I suppose the best you can do is, is probably not to try and do that, but actually to, to write something that maybe pays homage or at least pays respect to the work um, mm. without necessarily trying to ape it. That's where the world of comic books um, have, have been been blessed by that kind of rotation of, of writers. Um, and in their tradition, you, you can just kind of hand it off to a new, um, a new writer and let... Yeah, Doctor Who can work in, in that kind of way as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it does. Um, exactly, yeah, that's probably, that's probably about the only sort of long-standing... TV canon that that can do that because you know even um, even in shows like well we mentioned the West Wing earlier on a lot of people will draw a line between Sorkin eras and post Sorkin eras and things like that um, even even though I think the post Sorkin era was fine yeah having binged all of it I'm not certain I could have told you what was Sorkin and well, what Sorkin, isn't. yeah so Sorkin <laughs> isn't writing a lot even from the very start is he so he's not writing every episode so there's and 
you have to do that with the a huge series like that. I mean, people don't have a lot of respect for, for still open all hours, for example. And, uh, and you could totally see that open all hours itself was an absolute formula and not particularly brilliantly written. So why people are, oh no, this isn't as good. It's exactly as good. <laughs> There's just, yes, it's, it's affection for the familiar. Exactly, it's exactly as good. There was just, um, a lot less things on television in those days. <laughs> Uh, and with that, uh, we're going to leave you. Uh, thank you very much for listening. You can find this and um, a small curated selection of other very fine programming over at theoutpost.fm. So go and check that out and have a listen to some other nice people talking about nice things. Um, you can follow, uh, speaking of nice people, you can follow uh, John Bounds on Twitter at Bounder. You'll find uh, the other John, that's John Hickman. He's not known as the other John. He's a John in his own right. And you'll find him at John Hickman. And you'll find me, I'm Mark and you'll find me at I am Stedman. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you again in a week's time. Until then, share and enjoy. The five-minute ride is a thing that crosses boundaries. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I was just making. Sorry, it. I, I just thought the word five-minute ride. Five-minute ride was funny. I thought but, it was a uh, thing. I, I did. Thought, sorry, I, I thought. I thought you were talking about a thing that we weren't clever enough to know. Yeah, because that happens that a lot. So often. <laughs> no, that never. That, no, that never happens. Sorry. That, it's mainly sexual innuendo. <laughs> <laughs>